0: And thank you too for the opportunity to be here this month. My name is Scott Gibson, I've been filling in this month as uh, Pastor Nick Gatsky and family are away on sabbatical. And uh, it's been a a, a privilege for me to be able to come and to, to preach, you probably have heard the definition that preaching is the fine art of talking in someone else's sleep. And uh, I hope that I've been able to keep you awake. (laughs) Will you join me in prayer, please? Our great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are privileged to be able to come into your presence because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And as we come to your word, would you please guide us by your spirit, strengthen us by your grace, And transform us so that we might be the men and women and boys and girls that you've called us to be. We need you. We need your strength. We need your guidance. We need you in every nook and cranny of our lives. And so we give ourselves to you in these moments. These moments of worship as we sing. Moments of praying. And these moments of listening to your word. Do your great work in us, we ask. In the name of Jesus, in the name of the one who gave himself for us, we pray. Amen. We live in an age of folly. If you look all around you, you can see it displayed in all kinds of places. Men and women have forced themselves into the center of the universe, whether it's in the realm of um, finances, politics, entrepreneurship, entertainment. Everybody's vying for the spotlight. Everybody wants to be seen by everybody else. They, they strive to, to suck the air out of the room. It's a me culture, it's a perfect place for fools what we see here is that uh, these folks have thrust themselves into our cultural moment and uh, even the church has become subject to it even believers the rise of the self can be seen in cultural shifts those of us who are old enough to remember the 1960s saw a cultural revolution of self-absorbed youth. These uh, folks, these baby boomers, people like me, gave rise to what became known as the me generation. This self-absorbed narcissism has had an infectious push on our society, and it actually has cascaded down to even the present generations from Frank Sinatra in the 1970s who crooned I did it my way to 2022 when we're now instructed that each one of us is supposed to develop our own personal brand we see this sense of the self being pervasive and uh, God is out of the picture Let's face it, living in an age of folly can be a challenge for all of us. Uh, We we may not be financiers or uh, entrepreneurs or uh, entertainers, but we are people who are living in this culture that's based on self-promotion. The self-promotion of, look at me, see what I did. How are we to live wisely? How are we to use our time, our money, our gifts in a a way that, that recognizes our relationship with God? The question is, is how are we to live wisely in an age of folly? Is there a model? Is there a pattern? Is there a lesson that we can find from the scriptures that will help us to gain wisdom so that we might be able to follow the Lord faithfully? There is a scene in the scriptures that gives us a glimpse of how we can shape a wise life. The passage is found in 2 Chronicles chapter two, and excuse me, chapter one. And what we see here is a story about The young king, Solomon, who has just risen to power. His father had died, and these are the first moments of his reign. And at these first moments of his reign, Solomon does something here. He he sets a pattern for us from which we can learn, an instructive pattern on how to live wisely. So turn please to 2nd Chronicles chapter 1 verses 1 to 13. That's 2nd Chronicles chapter 1 verses 1 to 13. And as I read this text, ask the question, what can I learn from Solomon about living a life of wisdom? Reading from 2nd Chronicles chapter 1 beginning of the verse numbered 1. Solomon, the son of David, established himself firmly over his kingdom for the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Then Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, to the judges and to all the leaders in Israel, the heads of families. And Solomon and the whole assembly went to the high place at Gibeon, for God's tent of meeting was there, which Moses the Lord's servant had made in the desert. Now, David had brought up the ark of God from Kiriath, Jerium, to the place he had prepared for it because he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. But the bronze altar that Bezaliel, son of Uri, son of Hur, had made was in Gibeon in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Solomon and the assembly inquired of him there. Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting And offered a thousand burnt offerings on it that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him ask for whatever you want me to give you Solomon answered God you have shown great kindness to David my father and have made me king in his place now Lord God let your promise to my father David be confirmed for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours?" God said to Solomon, "'Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, riches, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, And since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth, riches, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will have. Then Solomon went to Jerusalem from the high place at Gibeon from before the tent of meeting, and he reigned over Israel. What does this passage tell us about being wise and living wisely? What we get from this scene is this. Wise guys know their position with God. Solomon saw all all God had done for his father, David, and recognized his need to depend, to, to fear God. David depended upon God. He feared God. Now it was Solomon's turn. The name Solomon means man of peace. And at the very beginning of his reign, he made his peace with God. The chapter begins here by showing us that Solomon takes firm control of his kingdom. He is able to take leadership. Why? Because the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. He gathers all Israel, all the leaders of Israel in Gibeon. We see this in verses two to six. And what he does here is, although the ark itself, the box that contained the, the staff and the manna and all of that was in Jerusalem because David had taken it there, it was at Gibeon where worship was conducted and so all he knew all solomon knew what to do was to recognize that god is god that the only way that he could govern was to fear god so by following what other kings have done in the past they gather to to worship at the beginning of his reign to inquire of yahweh and to offer burnt offerings to him as sacrifices to worship solomon Knew his place. He knew he didn't have the capacity in and of himself to rule. His foundation was fearing God which made him a wise guy. Solomon knew his position. He wasn't God but he needed God to lead his life. He recognized God as God. Each of us is responsible in our own lives to recognize that God is God. Not many of us are kings that I know, I know I'm not, (laughs) but even kings are expected to acknowledge their place before the God of the universe. Remember, fearing God is the foundation for being a wise guy. We could put it this way, kings and people like you and me are on the same level at the foot of the cross. We all have a choice to make. We fear God or we embrace folly. You may have done this as a young person. Maybe you've come to Christ as a young person and and you've trusted Christ and you've given your life to him. Or as an adult, you were drawn to the Lord and recognized your need for him and you've given your life to him and you've tried to follow him. But maybe you're not quite there. But you're considering recognizing that God is God. And if you do, you'll become a wise guy in a right relationship with God. Coming to faith in Jesus Christ, choosing to fear God, changed the direction of my life. I came to faith in Christ's from a non-Christian home, and my home church became my new home. They discipled me and taught me, nurtured me. I was a printer, that was what I was, I was running printing press, and then I was going to be a, a printing teacher, and then from being a printing teacher, I became a pastor, and then from being a pastor, I became a professor trusting God all along the way. You might have a similar story, not exactly my biography, but what is the same, I trust, is that you've come to a place in your own life where you feared God, not embraced folly, and given yourself to him. But ours is a culture that really does not want to include God in our spaces we don't want to recognize God we want to elbow our way into the center of everything that's the temptation for some reason we think that life is all about us if we were to peel back the layers of our thoughts we'd see that we assume that we're on the same level as the Lord thank you very much We've become the authority. The Lord God, Yahweh, isn't at the center of the universe. We are. We don't really think that we need to fear the Lord (laughs) to submit to his will and his way. God is an option, but only an option. But sometimes we forget that We are called to have a relationship with God and in fact, whether or not we recognize it, we have a relationship with God. Either we fear him or we've embraced folly. God is at the center, even though we don't want to recognize it. But what this text shows us is that wise guys know their position with God. But if wise guys know their position with God, what else does this text show us? It shows us this. Wise guys know their position with God and ask him to help them live life depending on him all the way. This was the case with Solomon's prayer. He asked God, help him to live life all along the way. Solomon knew that if he was going to lead a, a great nation that he would need God's help to do it. He couldn't do it on his own. He needed God's help. Now depending on God all the way is how Solomon then could see himself clear to live wisely. Notice in the text that he offered a 1,000 burnt offerings in verse six, this was a magnificent display of devotion. And following this display of public worship, something happened to Solomon that changed his life. Because Solomon publicly declared his commitment and dedication to God, that he feared God, that he recognized that God is God, that this was the foundation, this would be the foundation of his rule, God appeared to him that night. Solomon had given himself to God. And now in the dark reaches of the night, God gave himself to Solomon. And the Lord asked Solomon, ask me for whatever you want me to give to you. Verse 7. And notice how Solomon answers the Lord in verses uh, eight and nine. He says, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. There's a sense of praise and thanks that are riddled through these words. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father, David, be confirmed for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Solomon's request to God was simple. Verse 10, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? This was a picture of of humility. He fears God. He knew that he wasn't God, but that God had appointed him to be king. And so he knew that he needed God's guidance and grace to help him, these tools to rule. And the most important tool that he needed was wisdom and knowledge. Solomon was here this high ruler in a low position of humility before the great God of the universe. He feared God. He looked to God. And this position of worship, this position of humility, this position of acknowledging that God is God, pleased the Lord. This was Solomon's conduct decision, a decision that he made in his head and heart. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This was his conduct decision. And not only did the Lord grant Solomon his request for wisdom, but the Lord gave him even much more than that. He said that he would give him wealth and riches and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will have. This is what Solomon needed. Because as you read through this Book of 2nd Chronicles. What happens in chapters 2 to 7 is that Solomon needs wisdom to prepare the building and construction of the temple. He depends on God as he uh, reaches his rule and reign throughout the villages and establishment of his kingdom. His wisdom is admired by foreign uh, rulers including the the Queen of Sheba. We see that in chapter 9. Solomon's wealth an international power came to him because he recognized Yahweh as Lord and asked the Lord for wisdom. You can't buy a bottle of wisdom off the grocery store shelf. Yet it when it comes to obtaining wisdom, there's a transaction that takes place. Wisdom isn't cheap. You can't buy it at the Dollar Tree, or at the uh, Dollar General, or even at the five below. It's costly. But the other thing is, is you can't get wisdom at Neiman Marcus, or Saks Fifth Avenue, or Harrods either. You can't buy it with cash, or with credit card, or with Bitcoin. The only currency that we can use to obtain wisdom is ourselves our will, our head-heart choice to fear God, to give ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants our life, all of it. There's no other way. The hymn says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold he wants all of you nothing less wise guys know their position with God and ask him to help them to live life depending on him all the way you may be wondering though (laughs) what if I blow it what if I make a mess of, of things what if I do something stupid something unwise Well, as followers of Christ, we aren't perfect, at least not yet. We are complicated, layered, textured, complex in our makeup. We have all different kinds of drives, motivations, and intentions which get in the way of our desire to follow Christ in his wisdom daily. That's the temptation. Fools focus on the externals, wealth, riches, fame. They crave it. And that's what our culture promotes. Facebook is full of hubris, bragging and showing off. (laughs) Like our culture advocates, we become the center of the universe, at least our universe. We love getting thumbs ups and likes because that feeds our ego. One of the young men I've mentored several years ago when we first started meeting said to me, I want to be famous. I'm pleased to report that he's not famous. (laughs) I'm not sure how he would have handled it, actually. But sometimes we forget that uh, we are um, in a a relationship with God and can't figure out our place with it. That really God is over all, that God is God. Sometimes we forget that we aren't at the center. Even as you read Solomon in his his life, he blew it when it came to sex and marriage. We see that in 1 Kings 11. Sex can get in the way of faithful following. Money can get in the way of faithful following. Ambition can get in the way of faithful following. Family can even get in the way of faithful following. Selfish priorities can get in the way of faithful following. What are we to do? Ask. For forgiveness. Ask for wisdom and keep depending on him all along the way. Wise guys know their position with God and ask him to help them to live life depending on him all the way. This principle that I just stated that wise guys know their position with God and ask him to give them, uh, help them live life and depending on him all the way is something that we see ribboned throughout scripture. Men and women and boys and girls are called to recognize that God is God and then follow him in faith, asking God for wisdom to help them to live life in faith. James, the brother of Jesus wrote a letter to scattered, persecuted believers in Christ, trying to encourage them to live out their commitment to Christ. And James recognized that it was not easy to live life in a world of folly. These believers were were hounded by the Jewish establishment, and they were taunted by the Romans who hailed Caesar as God. And in the opening lines of his letter to these beleaguered believers, James writes these words. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God when you ask. Or rather, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double minded and unstable in all they do. James is letting them know that the faithfulness that they would experience in following God is not easy that the Christian life is tough, that it throws curveballs and surprises us and even gives us disappointments. He says that these difficulties produce maturity. Yes, maturity. You've probably heard the statement, hard times make you strong. That's what uh, James is telling his readers, that if they trust the Lord through these difficult times, he will make them more and more mature, more and more like Christ. But the question is for them and for us is, how do you interpret this tough times, these difficult moments? Uh, how, how, How is one able to navigate these waters as a faithful follower? James says that they are to ask God for wisdom. God is the one who will help put things into perspective. He will give his own wisdom, his own insight, his own understanding for how to view what is taking place in our lives. When someone does this, notes James, he or she is depending on the Lord and is able to navigate the stormy seas, trusting God for the capacity to live life. This promise to Solomon, this promise to James' readers is the same promise we have today. No matter what we face, the tough decisions that we make or even made for us that rattle our faith, job changes, aging, health crises, family feuds, we are first to trust the Lord, fear him, follow him, and ask him for wisdom. Wise guys know their position with God and ask him to help them live life depending on him all the way. Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six is really a, a restatement of what we're talking about here. The proverb says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Fear God God. And follow him. That's what wise guys do. Wise guys know their position with God, and ask Him to help them to live life, depending on Him all the way. I have a, a prayer list. I pray for various people in various uh, situations every day. And one of the daily prayer requests that I have that I ask the Lord for myself is that he would give me wisdom. Solomon taught me this. He asked for wisdom to live life. If he needed wisdom, I all the more. You can do that, too. Ask the Lord daily for wisdom to live life. And in so doing, God will give you the wisdom that you need to follow him in faith. Let's say this uh, principle together. Wise guys know their position with God and ask Him to help them live life, depending on Him all the way. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we confess our need for you and confess that although we are caught up in this crazy, crazy culture, that you would help us to be able to understand how we might be able to live life with wisdom. We know first that we are called to fear you, to recognize you as God, to come to Jesus Christ and give ourselves to him first and then follow in wisdom by asking for it, by faith. Do that in us, Lord, we ask, so that you might be glorified in our lives, in the lives of the families in which we inhabit, and are glorified in this church. To the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.